Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. All right, so today we're going to take a real look at resilience. This is a word that has been used, misused. So we are going to explain it. We're going to dig into the literature on resilience and provide some actionable ways in which people can use resilience and perhaps become a little bit more resilient themselves. Yeah, so I, there's real research on this. And, and I don't know why in something that's so important to our lives as humans uh, in a real world, um, why they get these little platitude two paragraph articles in Forbes or Fast Company or whatever. And, and so we're going to take a deep dive, Ben. So let, let's talk about what is resilience. And another term that we're going to use and bring up here is hardiness. So what is resilience and hardiness? Uh, what are they and why do they matter? Yeah, so let's start with resilience. And I'd like to start by saying that it's not simply about bouncing back. You know, this is the way it's oftentimes defined, at least in the the popular literature is, hey, resilience is about getting over things. It's about picking yourself up when things go wrong. And I suppose that maybe is a little part of it, but I think it's much more complex about it, uh, complex type of topic. And I, one way I like to think about resilience, and this is congruent with the literature, uh, is that it's about moving through adversity and being able to cope with it in a productive way. You know, these things that happen to us, be it tragedy, be it some sort of adversity, I, I don't think you necessarily just, you know, bounce back from them and move on from them. I think what you do oftentimes is that you pick up pieces of that. It becomes part of who you are and you learn from them and you can either uh, use those experiences to strengthen yourself eventually or they can actually be very harmful for you. So, um, you know, resilience is really about using good coping strategies. It's about also having the support you need to be able to recover when things happen. Um, so, you know, that's just a little bit about how I think about resilience. Yeah, I mean, I think we've all known somebody that's gone through a bad breakup, either with a company that they loved, whoops, got fired, How'd that happen? <laughs> <laughs> or or a breakup with like a romantic partner or a divorce or something. Um, bouncing back almost implies, okay, now I'm back. You know, I'm not letting this affect me. No, this stuff affects us. And right. we, it's important that we learn the right lessons, mm. especially if you're dating, right? Man, why do I keep meeting the wrong people? Why do I keep? Well, maybe... Maybe you numbskill, you didn't learn the right lessons the first 10 times. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, uh, you know, some of the research that we're going to pull from today, one, one piece includes a chapter that I wrote a couple years ago for the Encyclopedia for Industrial and Organizational Psychology on psychological resilience. And, you know, part of what I wrote in that article, um, which is interesting to read back on, right? It's interesting to read little pieces of that article because I wrote that you know, in 2016. And it was before I, you know, I'd been through various types of adversity in my life, but certainly nothing compares with 
the loss of my son last November uh, 2020. And so thinking about it in that context and having now and still going through all of the um, repercussions of that is, is, is interesting for me. Uh, at least from an intellectual standpoint. But, you know, what I wrote in that is that you know, psychological resilience is a person's capacity to maintain a relatively stable equilibrium in the face of adversity. And, you know, I think it's important to recognize that it's it's, it's about the relative stability. Like these things are really going to affect you. you. You may experience something that sends you to the depths. But the difference is that I think if you have a level of psychological resilience, you don't get thrown into despair as long as you might, if you didn't have that resilience, uh, you may have, you have the, the, the coping techniques, the ways of thinking, the support you need to eventually move forward, uh, through that type of experience. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to acknowledge that people do have a breaking point. Yeah. You, you can have situations in life that exceed your ability to cope or tolerate or, you know, whatever. And you may get mud all over your face, in the trenches, face down, don't think you can get up, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. You you can go to the lowest low and you can even take a pause. I, I've seen people that just walked out of jobs, just walked out mm. and just kept walking. And then like a year and a half later, they kind of resurface. Well, where'd you go? And I just, I went. <laughs> and it's... Oh, but the thing is, no matter how deep, dark, no matter all the hope and stuff you lose, you can get back up. And yeah. when you get back up, it's important to learn the right lessons and become, you know, adaptive in a positive way rather than adaptive in a negative way. You know, a negative way might be I'm never hanging out with people again. Mm-hmm. I will never date anyone ever again. I'm just going to be a he-man woman hater, or guy hater, whatever. Right. You know, that those aren't, you're actually picking up another negative habit that's not going to help you recover. And, you know, if you're going through a bunch of stuff that needs resilience, believe me, you want the lightest load loaded backpack that you can carry, you know, through that process. Right, right. And I think a piece of resilience also is, avoiding some of the the coping behaviors that we know are negative. So it's interesting in the research on stress and coping, um, you know, some coping strategies are, you know, sometimes good, sometimes not so good. So for example, venting to a friend, like that can be cathartic, it can be um, restorative, it can be helpful for a person. But if you vent all the time, first of all, you're going to run out of people to vent to probably, um, and it might be a little bit counterproductive. Uh, so some coping strategies can kind of go either way. There are some, though, that we know are pretty not helpful, right? So the one that comes to mind immediately is substance abuse. <laughs> you know, if you're if you're drinking away your um, your feelings or using some other substances, like that's not going to get you through things for the long term. It may numb you for the short term, but it's not going to help for the long term. So resilience is also about avoiding those types of of activities and coping strategies when things, when adversity strikes. And, and, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, I think about, um, that movie, I don't know if you ever saw that movie. It's called any given Sunday. It was from many years ago. Um, it had Al Pacino in it and he plays this coach of a, uh, of a, of a football team. 
And he has this, I don't remember a whole lot about the movie except for his locker room speech that he gives. Like they're down at halftime and he gives his speech and it's, and he says, you know, something like, um, you know, as you go through life, you lose stuff and that's part of life. Uh, and it's how you deal with that. That really matters this is essentially, I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what he says. And, you know, as I've gotten older, I think that I've realized that that's, you know, you, when you are when you're in your 20s like you just don't know what you don't know like i'm sorry you just don't and it's uh, awesome yeah and that I, I don't is know great. if i knew <laughs> i would have kept going <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I, I mean i think you know but having the the knowledge and the that you are going to experience tough times in your life no matter how good things are going right now um and, and, you know, many people do have things that, that have gone wrong for them or adversities they've faced. And, uh, you know, that's where resilience is very important. So um, maybe we turn our attention now to this idea of hardiness, because I think that's another interesting concept that's related to this idea of resilience. Yeah, And this was a new one for me, Ben. Mm. I mean, you know, I know the term hardiness, but you actually... I mean, this was in the article that you wrote and mm -hmm. like you define it as having and holding on to deep purpose and meaning in your life. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is an interesting concept and it sometimes is characterized as a personality characteristic. I, you know, some people may quibble with that because you probably could gain some hardiness along the way. It, it may not be a fixed trait that we have, but hardiness is is another related concept that says, you know... <laughs> When we have deep purpose or meaning in our lives and we hold on to those um, deeply, when things happen to us, we are still moored by that meaning, by that purpose. And therefore, adversity doesn't as affect us as deeply or doesn't plunge us into despair as it might if we didn't have that purpose and meaning. Um, you know, we've referenced on this podcast many times the book Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, and it's it's a fantastic book. And I think that there's a lot of hardiness in that book because he talks about his experiences in the concentration camps um, during World War II and, uh, you know, still being able to hold on to meaning and still being able to find purpose in his daily existence, even in that abyss of horror that that certainly existed around him. Uh, so when we have purpose and meaning that that can help us be resilient. Yeah. So I single moms come to mind here. Hmm. It, they they have so much purpose and meaning in relation to how they raise their kids and helping their kids get out and launched mm -hmm. that I've seen some of the most heroic things I've ever seen in life were actually not overseas in Afghanistan or something like that, but the everyday heroism of single mothers raising children mm. and the level of, you know, setbacks. And I mean, they're tough. Don't yeah. mess with single moms. <laughs> they will break you. And, and it's amazing. And it, it's, it's just having a reason for living. And that's really important. So if you wanted to start with why, a la Sinek or something, getting, <laughs> getting into some kind of purpose for what you're doing. Um, I talked to a CEO uh, yesterday, actually, and I said, other than making money and just staying open another year, like, what, what are you trying to do? Um, 
well, my company's, I said, no, as you, as an individual, as a CEO. <laughs> and she's starting to embark on this journey of, wait, you know, I just kind of fell into this thing and now I have this company and it's doing all right. And, you know, I just never sat the said, like, what, what is my unique offering to the broader world that's outside myself, which right. is, and we'll get to that in a mi minute, but contributing to the world is one of those things that helps you build meaning and resilience. And when you have that, when you have that clarity around your purpose and, and what type of meaning you attach to things, it allows you to, to move through adversity better. Um, you know, there's, there's some good case studies, actually one of the, uh, the researchers who has done a lot on hardiness, his name's Paul Bartone. And he, he has an article where he talks about, um, you know, soldiers who are in combat and, and, uh, you know, being able to move through tough times by, he, you know, the leader of that group gave them, uh, this particular mission and purpose and really explained the meaning behind it. And they were all able to rally around that. Um, so I think that that's, that's just a really powerful concept. Now, unfortunately, I think a lot of people don't realize that they need to have purpose and meaning in their lives until they face some sort of adversity or until they're a little bit older. Uh, I would strongly advocate for, and I think there are many benefits to thinking about these types of ideas much earlier on, talking about having purpose and meaning with your children, uh, you know, using your time as, a, as you're growing up so to speak, to figure these things out, because that will help you. Yeah, you can help people. You know, if you went through a really hard time and you're like, man, this stinks, you can help people go through their hard times easier by sharing with them how to increase their resilience and hardiness. Yeah. Um, that's And especially if you have kids or young people that you care about, starting this journey when they are young is important. Um, it's important for our organizations, right? So, you know, and it's not, <laughs> let's quick have resilient employees so we don't have to fix our bad management <laughs> methodologies <laughs> or something. You know, that's that's not the right answer either. But, you know, sometimes you need people to stick with you. If you're mm -hmm. a small business owner, losing critical key staff can be really hard. And launching something that's small and making it big is also really hard. Having employees that have those mental health skills, coping skills that are resilient and hardy are going to help them stick with you. Our country, our world needs people who do hard things. That's going to require resilient, hardy people. And so it's it's like having a minor leagues. You know, we should all start this with people everywhere, passing those skills on so you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time you hit a bump on the road. Right. And I just want to key in on one thing that you just said is, you know, that if you don't feel like you have purpose and meaning, find some people or a group of people and help them. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you can use that as your purpose and meaning for right now as you figure things out. You can't go wrong with helping other people, in my view. Uh, you know, so this, these ideas of resilience and hardiness, I think they really matter for a variety of reasons. One being that we all at some point in our lives, for the most part, unless you actually are a person who dies very young, you we all experience death around us with you know our, our family members, our friends, right? Um, this happens. Uh, we all experience adversity in our lives at some point. 
If you think things are going great right now and you haven't had much adversity, I, I guarantee you something will happen at some point. So that's one reason that we all need resilience. We all need hardiness. But I, I think we also need it just because we, are, we live in a changing world. We need to be able to adapt. Um, and life is simply better when you have at least some level of resilience and are able to cope with the change and adversity around you. Yeah. So even if life was served to you on a golden platter, learning these skills helps you help others. Um, and so like let's start talking about some organizations. So this is where a lot in the business literature, they talk about resilience and mm -hmm. really I see it bandied about as, well, we do really bad at communicating to our employees what's going on. So we're just going to require them to just suck it up, buttercup, no matter what, no matter what we <laughs> yeah, do. Yeah, and this is kind of that idea. You know, I think uh, sometimes organizations are like, we just want people who bounce back because we screw stuff up all the time, you know? So this is kind of why, <laughs> oh, this is why we are kind of joking around saying, you know, bouncing back is for losers. It, it, that's not, you know, that's not what um, we really mean by resilience. Resilience is much deeper than that. And, you know, you're right. Sometimes organizations are like, hey, um, can you teach my employees how to be super resilient? And, you know, because if we do that, then we can just throw all kinds of change at them and we can have a bunch of crappy leaders. And guess what? They'll deal with it. And you know what? Hey, if they're resilient, then we don't have to feel bad about laying them off. So it's great. <laughs> oh, no. they, can, they can bounce back. Um, and that's just the wrong way to be thinking about it. It's, it's short-sighted. And I just think morally bereft. So, um, but at the same time, organizations can really benefit from having resilient, hardy employees um, because they are they are your organization. They will help your organization overall deal with adversity and change. Um, so I think it really your the motive of the the senior executive of the leader of the organization really matters here in terms of do you actually want your people to thrive and flourish, or are you just trying to suck more life out of them? Right. One of the things that orgs struggle with that we deal with a lot is, well, this person really doesn't have room to promote and move up. Mm. And yet we're having a hard time with engagement, right? I, you know, hey, look, Bill, you just keep doing the same job you're doing and you'll have a job here for 40 years, um, but you're not really going to go anywhere. Mm. Um, well, one of the things because the pushback we'll get is, well, is it really appropriate for us as an organization to teach about resilience? Is it appropriate for us to do? Because these aren't job-related skills. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of the training tends to be, well, how can we get Bob to make widgets better? Or, you know, Sarah to be a better manager or whatever that is, because it's very specific. But turning your organization into a group of lifelong learners carving out some time for people to have either on their own time, good resources, sessions. You know, Google does lunch and learns all the mm -hmm. time where they just bring people to talk on interesting stuff. This, de this develops a thriving, growing working populace, which is it's good We because these people are in our communities. They're at our religious institutions. Um, they may sit on your jury for a trial of some sort. Mm. Uh, you know, and and to just say, oh, well, do this, all this self-development in your free time at home. Well, look at how much how much time the companies eat up of their employees lives. And it's like, hey, you were on the Internet. And it was like, yeah, I had to pay a bill on yeah. on the Web in the middle of the day. That's just <laughs> what our working stuff. We don't have one spouse at home 
doing all the social planning and all that stuff. And then one working stiff that heads to work in the morning, come up, comes home and eats dinner and goes to bed. You know, that's not the case anymore. Right. You know, and some organizations actually care about their people in terms of caring about their well-being and valuing their contributions. Other organizations j- just give that lip service. Stink. Uh, those orgs stink. Those or- those organizations <laughs> stink. Uh, that's the that's a scholarly term we give them. They stink. Um, so, you, you know, other organizations, though, come up with creative ways to actually show that they care about people. I, one I came across, and, you know, Google is an interesting company. People just love to talk about Google. And, you know, I, I think... Um, there are, there are good parts and bad parts of Google, I think, like any organization. But one interesting thing that they do is they actually have a, um, a policy uh, that Laszlo Bach, he was the, the first um, head of people operations there, I think was his title. And um, he's moved on from Google since then, but he did all kinds of interesting things with their kind of their HR, what they call people operations. And he had an initiative that I believe still continues to this day, where if any employee of Google dies, they pay the um, that person's next of kin half of that person's salary for a decade after the person died. And, you know, I think that that's that's that ties into this idea of resilience and hardiness because it shows that the organization cares about their employees, um, at least with that example of it. You know, I'll say that, you know, when when Vincent died, part of the strength and resilience that me and my family were able to have came from our organizations. It came from, you know, my the, the leadership at Cleveland State University and all of my colleagues there. It came from, um, you know, my connections and and coworkers and uh, supervisors and everyone else that I know through the United States Navy. And um, our organizations play a role in this idea of resilience and hardiness. They really do. And we'll talk about this here in a little bit, but you know, one thing I, I've come to realize even more acutely, I think, in the past four months is that resilience is a team sport. Resilience is not just an individual psychological characteristic that we either have or don't. Sure. So let's talk about those individual factors and and even some environmental factors that influence resilience and hardiness. So, you know, one of them are cognitive factors. Like Mm -hmm. this is just, you know, some people just in the brain, the way they're wired are just more resilient than others, right? Yeah. Well, and it, it may be the way they're wired, but it also has to do with, you know, the ways in which you think. And you can, with practice and um, persistence, change the way you think to some degree. So, the characteristic of hardiness. We, we talked about this before. This is a cognitive factor that influences our resilience. If you have deep purpose and meaning in your life, if you can find meaning in the adverse event itself, right? Sometimes things happen to us that we cannot understand in terms of the meaning that that event itself had. Tragedies occur. But in the aftermath of those events, we can construct meaning. We can make it something that it becomes meaningful. And so that that's an aspect of hardiness. Um, another one is an interesting kind of cognitive factor, which is what we call internal and external locus of control. Yeah, this is probably the number one thing mentioned in most of the literature. So, which it has some caveats to it. So somewhat personality driven, mm-hmm. you know, whether or not you view the world, but 
it's the idea of I'm responsible and can shape my future or I'm a victim of external events. So if you have an external locus of control, you're you're viewing, well, nothing's in my control. I don't have any influence. I can't shape things. And sometimes that's the case. Um, If your business, you know, was destroyed by the COVID pandemic, well, you know, that that was, you know, that's a problem with how people think about this idea of, you know, there are some external factors that you can't shape. And accepting those and being okay with that and not blaming yourself is an important piece of that. Now, that being said, for people who have a more internal locus, it's the idea of I can shape my future. Now, can you shape 100% of your future? Like, it doesn't matter how much I work out or whatever. I'm never going to dunk like Jordan <laughs> or Kobe Bryant. I don't know. I, I'm not yeah. a big basketball I, I had to, I had to break it to my uh, my son once that uh, he uh, was never going to be LeBron James, even though he he wanted to be when he grew up. <laughs> You're right. Um, but so some things are outside of our control. And you know, when things happen to us, even if we maybe don't have that tendency or that natural default style to to take action and to see things as being shaped by our own um, efforts, you know, you can give yourself some of what we call agency, the ability to affect things in the middle of adversity. Identify those little things that you can control and uh, and focus on them, right? It's funny. I just thought of an interesting example of this. So, you know, when uh, when we go through training in the military for how to behave and what we need to do in uh, situations where maybe if we're captured by an enemy, right, and we are, you know, you're a prisoner of war, that's a very trying circumstance, obviously. Um, But you know, I'm not going to go into all the details, but there are a variety of things that we have learned from people who have gone through that that help. And, and a big thing of, you know, it's, it's like, find those things you can control, stay organized, start to assign roles and responsibilities to people, um, you know, take care of each other, check in on each other, um, have a schedule, all these different things that help you give, help give you a sense of some control over your environment um, that can help you psychologically. Right. And, and there are things you can shape the minute you think you can't shape, there is something so if you're struggling with what can I control, you might need to go find a battle buddy of life and, you know, call one of your friends and say, hey, what are some things I can control right now? Mm-hmm. Like for me, that might be, why don't you give away half of your baked goods binge baking that you've been doing during this pandemic rather than eating them yourself? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you, you know, you could probably, you know, just post uh, maybe on a Facebook or group that you're giving away some free goodies and just put them outside your door and someone will come get them. Um, so absolutely. There are always some, there's always something that you can control. And, you know, depending on the level of severity of something you're facing, you know, sometimes the, the phrase is, you know, one day at a time. And I think that that's actually a good way to think about things. Sometimes it might be one hour at a time or one minute at a time. And even that can start to give you a sense of agency and can start to help you um, move forward with meaning and purpose um, with regard to, to your situation. Yeah. So if you were a buggy whip manufacturer and the buggy whip industry took a big hit, then you have a lot of your identity tied up in being the best gosh darn buggy whip maker ever, you know, and they don't even spank kids in schools anymore. So you can't diversify your pitch, you know, and the Civil War reenactors only buy six a year. You know, 
these kinds of things that you can take a hit, right? That's an external Mm -hmm. item. There's a market change. They no longer have a demand for your product. You may need to take a little while to grieve that loss, Mm -hmm. right? And then one of the things that you can do during that time is what we call effective strategies. And that's doing stuff that leads to positive emotions. So don't just sit in the depression all day. Schedule some time, even if it's just an hour a day, to focus on some positive emotions. Now, you could do stuff like meditation. If you've got the gumption to go, you know, do some kind of sports, maybe some, you know, you're working on your runtime or you're playing some soccer or something. Um, one of the things that this is not in the literature, but I this leads to positive emotions for me is I love funny Internet videos. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there is some aspect of uh, you know, there's some research support for the use of humor, right, in psychological resilience. Um, so if if funny Internet videos give that to you. Um, then perhaps that is a, a good technique for you. Um, these things that lead to more positive emotions can help us think better, can help us um, have some a, a positive outlook on the future. Uh, taking care of yourself physically in terms of eating healthy, uh, getting some exercise, and having good relationships with other people, those are all aspects of what we would call affective strategies, things that lead to positive emotions. Uh, one thing I do want to mention is we we skipped over one cognitive strategy, and that's that's what we call appraisal. And appraisal has to do with looking at a situation and reframing it in a different way, um, making it a situation for you psychologically that allows some room for there to be meaning and purpose in a way forward. If if you see every bad thing that happens to you as the end of the uh, the end of your life or the end of um, you know your ability to function that's going to be hard to move forward. Now, there may be times where you do feel like that, right? As long as you can, with the help of others and through some of the things we're talking about here, find that way to allow some room for meaning and purpose, that that can be very helpful. And part of this is how you talk to yourself about whatever's going on. So we call self-talk. Um, are you talking to yourself in, your, in terms of your, kind of your inner monologue in a positive way? Uh, the more that you can try to do that, I think that that is helpful. Yeah, so watching, so I live in a neighborhood with a bunch of kids that are around between the ages of like six and 12. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I'm noticing around the eight and nine-year-old range starts some of this negative self-talk because they're at school or whatever. And somebody says, man, you really screwed that math test up or something. Mm. (laughs) Or uh, you can't even play basketball right or whatever. And then the kids, you'll actually hear the kids engage in I mean, Ben, have you heard some of this with mm-hmm. your kids ever? Like, they actually start to trash talk themselves. Right. They'll say, like, I'm not good at whatever. Yeah, right. absolutely. And, and it's like, gosh, you're, you're, you're 10, 11, 12 years old. You shouldn't be thinking those types of That's things. That's right. You're moment. not good at anything. You're 10. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't say that. But that's that's the case. And 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 this is a weird piece. And we see this in consulting engagements and executives. We'll see the same negative. You know, I'm new to this parental adv- adventure. I've got two kids that are six and ten. And and I'm like, man, I'm seeing the same stuff in my executives at the kid level, except they're like a little, they're not as adept at hiding some of this stuff. <laughs> um Everybody, if you ask anybody, hey, are you good at everything? Oh, no. Right. So you don't feel, you know, bad about it. But anytime somebody has a weakness, they're like, I'm so ashamed 
but I'm not good at this new task within my organization. Mm-hmm. Or I'm in a new role and I'm not instantly good at everything here. Uh, you know, this is crazy. And so self-talk needs to be realistic. I'm not good at this yet. Or, you know, I just took a punch to the gut in life career. It is almost impossible to feel negative for your whole life. So you, there's some of these positive self-talk strategies that you need to do, barring mental health issues. Like, so if you do have a problem with clinical depression, this is something professionals can work with you to help you. Right. But reframing, like, hey, we're just going to learn from this one and discover something else. You know what? Buggy whips are out. I'm going to grieve that, but I'm going to do something in my day. I'm going to watch some Chad videos on SNL or whatever. Um, you start bit by bit by bit by bit. And it can be hard to see right now because we're over a year in pandemic lockdown. We don't have our normal coping strategies are not all available to us at the same time. Right, right. You know, there also are some environmental factors, you know, that that might play a role in your resilience and your capacity for for these things, you know, having to do with your family of origin. You may be things that you need to work through in terms of how you were raised. Um, you know, you mentioned kind of just being, for example, here in in hopefully the the latter <laughs> latter months of, of this pandemic, I hope. Um, but sometimes there are circumstances beyond your control that you have to deal with, and that, that can really be challenging. Um, and then, you know, another one that I think is really important that I alluded to earlier is the importance of connections that we have with each other. Um, you know, resilience, again, is oftentimes talked about as bouncing back as this kind of stoic individual quality. But I got to tell you, that's just not the way it necessarily works. There is an aspect of it that is individual for sure. But we do this through and with the people to our left and right. Yeah, I I know this is something that, you know, Ben and I eat our own dog food, so to speak. (laughs) You know, we we call and encourage each other. You know, before this podcast episode recording started, we spent about 15 minutes checking in. Mm hmm doing a little, you know, joking a little bit. And and that, it's got to be a team sport. No man is an island or person is an island, you know. Right. But so, you know, check in. And and this is the thing is some people might say, ooh, helping this guy with some resilience right now is a real drag. Well, you guys can do it in a way that builds both of you up rather than one person just taking on the slime of another. Mm-hmm. right build that meaning together hey our relationship is getting closer ben and i's relationship has changed over the course of like this pandemic and the traumas that his family's gone through but that doesn't mean it's gotten worse Mm-mm. it's just different we internalize these things and take different lessons away and things change in a good way so right. let's move to implications for why should people care about this you know <laughs> yes we just Things are crap. You'll need to be <laughs> resilient and hardy. Uh, so what? You know? <laughs> so now now for the so what? Yeah. So I think there are a number of different things that, you know, we can do as people, as as leaders and as organizations to help with resilience and hardiness. But, you know, that why it matters is because life is not just a a, you know, an easy path. 
we will all experience things at different times. Um, you know, and as an organization, for example, or as, as a leader, do you really want to just give up on anybody who's going through a tough time for a period? Or do you want to be by that person? And, you know, by the way, probably build their loyalty and commitment to you as an organization and you as a leader, if you if you actually are there for them um, and and see them through the other side. Right. Uh, so, you know, I, I think just if we want if we want to create the world in which, you know, the type of world that we want to live in, then we should care about this for ourselves and we should care about this for each other. Yeah, it's the right thing to do, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not a, it's it, not always easy. I'm, right? I'm going to be really nice while this person struggles. So they owe me one and I'll cash in on that later. No, that's the you know <laughs> evil empire uh, transactional relationship. That's not a relationship. No. So it's baloney. This is the right thing to do. And to start off this section, let's start, even if you're fallen, traumatized, anything, you can get started now. Small, right. tiny steps now. There's that is the upside. If you are look, if you're despondent right now and need resilience, the upside is you can get started building your resilience now and making your life better. Right. Yeah. You know, and Obviously, it's very hard for me to separate this entire topic at all from my own personal experiences in the past several months. So, you know, when I think back to, you know, the 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 day and the weeks right after um, the accident with Vincent, you know, there were there were, I had to find those little things that they got got me and my family through the day, which were OK, you know, let's let's try to maintain some semblance of order in terms of a, a little bit of a schedule. We're going to be kind to ourselves and let things relax where they need to be. Um, we're also going to let people help us. Um, but let's, you know, let's, let's make sure we eat today. Let's make sure we, let's make sure we, um, you know, are staying hydrated. Right. And these are really important things. Let's make sure that we, um, you know, it, spend a little bit of time with each other or allow people the room to grieve in their own way in, in a certain way. Right. Um, so, you know, you, you have to try, and it, it, again, this is not, this is a lot easier said than done, but over time being able to, um, move forward with all of the, the learning and the experience that you've had, um, you know, it has to do with breaking out of some of these negative thought cycles and, um, and really trying the bet to the best you can to start to, um, you know, attach some meaning or purpose to how you are going to live in a new way after something traumatic. Now, this this applies, I think, just as just as easily and maybe not as dramatic of a fashion to you know the the everyday adversities that we face at work, um, things that happen to us, projects that don't go well, you know, supervisors who are being jerks, uh, coworkers who are being uh, not particularly supportive. All of those types of things um, can be a reason why we need resilience and start on those little things. And you, and you can really can start right now. Yeah. So our brains can trick us, right? And one of the ways they trick us is catastrophizing. Mm -hmm. This is horrible. Everything is horrible. Right. And um, they, these are called cognitive distortions. It's really good. I used to do this with lieutenants in the military, and I sometimes do it with executives I work with. It's I'll print out a list of cog common cognitive distortions that our mind can trick us into thinking, you know, all or nothing thinking, like everything's right. either all good or all bad. You know, these you know, stinking thinking, right? Hmm. Our brains will go to this place naturally when we face a trauma or something like that. Um, that means your brain's working well, right? It's trying to yeah. keep you safe. 
But you got to start challenging that. One of the self-talk items you can do is challenge your all or nothing thinking or some of these cognitive distortions. Catastrophizing. Um, yes, catastrophes happen, but everything is not a catastrophe. And, you know, we talk about this as reframing the situation. Yeah. You know, or, you know, one of my favorite scriptures, and I forget what the verse is, um, weeping indoors for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Mm -hmm. There, There is a joyous morning that will come eventually. And it's important that we reframe where we are where we are at now in our journey and move forward productively. Yeah. Yeah. I like that way of thinking about in terms of moving forward productively, instead of just bouncing back or moving on. Right. First of all, just a little pro tip out there. This is not meant to be a a whole episode, just about grief. We we should, we'll do something on that at some point, but you know, when, when someone has, um, you know, loss of a, of a loved one, when someone's died in someone's family, um, don't talk to them in terms of, Hey, you should move on. Uh, talk to them about moving forward with, you know, moving forward with that, that person, with that, you know, the person who died and and their memory and the meaning that they brought to the world. So, um, I think moving forward productively is a great way to think about a lot of things. Uh, you know, I, I think back to very early in my career as a Navy officer, and I had a, a person who got a, an evaluation that wasn't, as as stellar as he thought it should be and you know he he really it really hit him hard you know and he was like down in the dumps for a while and i i eventually just had to say look like you know you this is one of those moments where you have a choice in how you react to this this is something that you know it it, it's so cliche but it is what it is and you have to choose how you're going to react and are you going to react in a way that is going to further damage the relationships and, you know, your outlook on life, or are you going to try to choose a way to move forward that, that actually can bring you, um, you know, somewhere more productive? Yeah. And so, and we already talked about on the individual level that you can eat right and work out. I mean, that's just setting your baseline. I mean, if you're hangry all day, it's hard (laughs) to be chipper, right? (laughs) So yeah, I, I mean, there, it's it's very well documented in the research in terms of you know the connection between our mood and our stress levels and what we the benefits we get from eating right, getting healthy, working out, those types of things. So you know, in consultation with your doctor and your nutritionist, do so in a in a productive way. I encourage that, regardless of whether or not you're facing adversity or not. Um, if you're not facing adversity, great you know, good time to, to really get healthy. So that if you do face adversity, you'll at least have that going for you. Yeah. That's just a baseline. Another baseline is getting out of toxic relationships or living situations. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're a young person, that might be hard, but you can have, you know, a view that, Hey, this isn't normal or quite right. Um, if you're an abusive relationship, those kinds of don't go through a traumatic event while you're sitting in something that's a toxic pool of relationship nurture the good relationships, seek those kinds of people out. Now, if you look around and say, gee, none of these numbskulls are going anywhere or trying to do, you know, I'm trying to do something great with my life and nobody around me is doing anything. Well, make sure at least a portion of the people that are in your life are people that are striving for something good. 
Um, They can be encouragement. That's why CEO roundtables are great. They're a place where, hey, I'm trying to do something in business. I'm trying to do something in business. They can lend resilience and support and what can be a lonely role. That's great. You know, another thing that we've already talked about, but this is a great implication for individual people is live your values, have morals. Like you and I come across people who just, it never occurred to them that they needed to have a, a moral compass. And that gets really problematic, especially as you get more senior in an organization, because there aren't, there's no playbook, you know, when you're the CEO necessarily for where the organization needs to move strategically and those types of decisions you're going to have to make. So you know, get some meaning and purpose in your life because that will help you with hardiness and will help you be more resilient when adversity strikes. Yeah, and a lot of this has to do with being active as an individual. Now, Mm. yes, physically active, but active in shaping where you're going, right? Rather than just, well, I guess we'll just ride this one out. Yeah. You know, one thing you can do actively is set some goals and make sure they're not unrealistic. The goal for today might be, I'm going to take a shower and put my pants on. (laughs) Yeah. Right? I mean, generally people prefer pants, (laughs) you know, (laughs) on. But identify those small items and work on them, right? Except the stuff you can't change. And, you know, if, if you're walking through the forest and there's a giant tree in your way, well, you walk around it. You don't, you know, you can't go on a hike in the woods People won't like this with a chainsaw, just hacking a straight line. Mm -hmm. Um, And some people kind of go into that mode and they just start hacking, hacking, but they're hacking on something that's immovable. Make sure those goals are realistic and go around those things that you just can't change. That's great. You know, another thing that people we can all do, and this goes back to your, the idea that you shared about nurturing the relationships around you. It has to do with the connections that we have. And uh, you know, it's interesting. So, in the Navy, we have um, a what we call the Navy Leader Development Framework, and it's gone through a couple different iterations. And a couple of years ago, they came out with version 3.0. And what's cool about it, I think, is that they, you know, version uh, 2.0 had uh, these two different lanes for um, developing yourself as a leader, and they were the lanes of character and competence, and those are very important, right? Well, in, in the this 3.0 version of the leader development framework from the U.S. Navy, they added another one, which is connections. So they have character, competence, and connections. And you know, this goes back to that idea that I shared early on, that resilience and hardiness is not just a, a, an individual thing. It is a team sport. And so you know, the way the Navy talks about this, and I'm quoting from the, uh, the actual document here, is they, they say um, lane three, which is connections, it says develops intellectual and personal connections. Intellectual connections improve competence by sharing mental models, comparing notes, improving our ability to anticipate our teammates' next move. Personal connections strengthen our character and resilience by building relationships. We share what we experience and seek to understand what's going on in, in others' lives, not only in mind, but in body and spirit as well. Personal connections, relationships should certainly expand and deepen within our Navy team, but can and should also include our families, our friends, our churches, our health clubs, and other communities. Personal and intellectual connections are essential to achieving the highest levels of performance. And, you know, I think that that's a a great um, idea, regardless of your organization. You know, this isn't just about the Navy, but, you know, any organization that really wants people who are healthy and 
resilient uh, will nurture those types of connections and encourage people to build them both within their organization and outside. Have those healthy relationships so that when adversity uh, faces you, that you can move forward productively. Yeah. And the your emotional and feeling context while you're going through times that need resilience is not a reliable indicator of how you're doing. <laughs> you know, feelings can take a while to catch up. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but you can act and do your way to a better, better emotional status as things get better. Right. That's great. So let's talk now, as we start to move down the home stretch about some things, maybe that leaders should be thinking about with regard to resilience and with regard to hardiness. Well, one of the things is, is you displaying these skills that increase your, you know, resilience is important. T leading is stressful. Take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. That's right. You know, going back to uh, Navy examples, um, I got a lot of them today, but I recently went through a leadership development program for the Navy, the, the Navy Senior Leader Seminar. And what was really interesting is it was a week-long program, but, you know, as a big component of it, they had a whole wellness piece, which is about how you deal with stress, how you take care of yourself, health, nutrition, fitness, all that kind of stuff. Um, because, you know, well, what's oftentimes beaten into us, perhaps, and this is especially true maybe in, in really good organizations, is that, hey, leaders look out for everybody else. And that's true. We do look out for everybody else. You should be thinking about yourself in some ways as a servant of others in a leadership capacity. At the same time, if you do that at the expense of your own health and well-being, you're not going to be able to do that very well for the long run. And, you know, this is a, this is a marathon, not a sprint. So you have to take care of yourself as an individual if you want to be able to take care of others. Yeah. And if you are taking care of yourself, then that's going to have a positive impact on your team and organization's environment. Mm -hmm. um, how you lead has an impact. And, you know, we talk tone at the top, but that's tone at the middle and any level of leadership. And that's going to help the people on your team that don't do resilience very well. And that could be from individual cognitive factors or, you know, some people just don't have a whole lot of resilience baked in. Maybe they came from a really traumatic family. Um, but if you're displaying these resilience skills, if you've made resilience a team sports, you can boost the functioning of others. And, uh, you know, that leads to the other piece of, if you curate a positive, healthy environment that, does it require resilience every day? That's probably pretty good for your company too. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't be just running from one adversity to another every day in your organization. Uh, you know, sometimes that happens if we have true crises that hit us. Uh, however, you know, having a professionally managed and led organization should lead to some stability uh, that, that doesn't require people to be super resilient all the time. Um, I think building resilience and training into kind of your regular cadence of team development can be helpful. Um, coaching and being there for others, you know, as a leader is very helpful. Kind of going back to some of these ideas we talked about earlier, don't let your poor leadership be the resilience test that your team has to go through. <laughs> <laughs> and then sharing your resilience journey with others, you know, um, one of the things that, you know, it stinks, you know, if you had to develop some resilience, uh, you know, it's not, you don't schedule it like a vacation because it's so fun, 
But when you have those pieces, you're able to help others. And I think it's important for leaders to um, demonstrate that authenticity in their life around what they're going through. Now, I know for Ben, not only is he wicked, intelligent, and good looking, um, (laughs) (laughs) he has a lot of skills and stuff. But now that he's gone through a tragedy, he's going to be able to take all of those wonderful mental gifts that he has as an individual and be able to provide them to people who have gone through deep, deep traumas. Um, And that's something, you know, lots of times, hey, I've been through it and maybe they don't have that um, IO psych PhD background and all the character development that you've Mm -hmm. done, Ben, and stuff. But like you become somebody that'll be uniquely poised, you know, even globally to help people. Um, and if you have those resilience challenges and stuff as leaders, you should not shy away from sharing those things when appropriate and, you know, use them to help other people be encouraged. Well, that's awfully kind. And I I think it's, it's insightful to, um, you know, I I think furthermore, because, you know, it's also helpful in terms of a way to reframe a situation, right? So, Obviously, like, you know, what I've had to go through, what my family's had to go through in the past several months has, has, is something that I certainly would, would have not, I don't want to, I wouldn't wish it upon anybody. And, you know, if I could have go back in time and not make it happen, absolutely would. Um, you know, but looking forward and trying to move forward productively for me also involves reframing and trying to attach meaning to how I'm going to live my life. And part of that is, as you mentioned, like, I, I, I was telling somebody the other day, like, well, you know, what I want this to become a little bit for me is I want to kind of develop this leadership superpower, right? That that right. comes from going through something really traumatic. Um, and, you know, the things that I've learned in terms of like how to deal with someone who's going through tragedy or how to, you know, just deal with stuff on a regular basis, you know, in terms of stress management and, and all those types of things and just having a better understanding of, of, what people can be going through. Um, so that's kind of part of how I'm reframing things in a way. You know, I think another thing that we can do that kind of goes along with this idea of sharing your resilience journey with others is, you know, you don't necessarily have to go through um, tragedy to to learn some of the skills. Now, it, it, you don't know what it's like till you go through it. However, learning vicariously through others is helpful. That is a good way for us to imagine ourselves somewhere else and to think about how we might behave and to think about what has worked for other people in those types of situations so that we can have some of those skills or at least those mindsets um, to deal with adversity when it does come. Right. And so for organizations, so if you're a person in a position that has organizational remit, right, one of the things you can do is incorporate the resilience training. So individuals, you can do certain things. If you're a leader manager, there's things that you can do and curate. And then so if you have like learning and development or, you know, if you're a CEO or something like that, include some of this resilience and hardiness type materials into your regular leadership and development stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't let this just go unnoticed, right? This is a key part of, of life. This is a key part of, of leading others and our relationships that we have in our organization. So um, talk about these types of things in, in, a, in an evidence-based way. Uh, also, create some policies and procedures that are supportive to your employees. This is um, just key in terms of structure that you can create that really tells people that you 
are not only saying that you care about them, but you actually do care about them. Um, and this could have to do with, you know, different leave policies. It could have to do with different benefits, perhaps, that you offer your employees. Uh, but really demonstrate and kind of put your money where your mouth is, so to speak, in terms of how do we really care about people's well-being in this organization? Yeah, the tone at the top is also important. Setting setting that tone of, hey, we're all humans here. Things happen and things go through. We're not going to try to become the most productive little widgets. And, you know, the perfect employee is the automaton employee. Hmm. That's not what we're doing here. We're talking about, hey, this is how ethically I want to be in society. This is how I deal with resilience. And going through those things, it humanizes the workplace and feeds and nourishes our soul. And you can set that as organizational leaders um, just by setting that tone and talking about it yourself. That's great. So well said, Chris. So today on the podcast, we've taken a real look at resilience. We've talked about resilience and hardiness and what they are and why they matter. We've talked about some individual and environmental factors that influence resilience and hardiness, and we wrapped up with some implications for people, leaders, and organizations. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.